comes Peter Cottontail, hopping along the bunny trail, hippity hoppity Easter's on its way, making lots and lots of toys for all the it's over (laughs) well it's not over till it's over it's episode 16 the easter edition well it's it it, i mean happy easter to you if you celebrate it and a happy day to you if you don't celebrate it's sunday evening where i am we've had our easter dinner already small easter dinner well small company but just uh the four of us because we're locked down again here in london ontario so we are locked down so that means you're not allowed to have celebrations in your house and those things and so we're just doing the good thing and hanging out with each other and you know we had some we had a turkey and a ham and some mashed potatoes and some stuffing and we made some little tarts and oh just fun fun stuff and you know the kids had their easter egg hunt and amazing oh my gosh the easter bunny was very 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 good to these children so yeah you know bunnies multiply and Bunnies leave all kinds of things on the porch, and and so many bunnies contributed to a very, very good Easter for the kids, and that makes us happy as parents. I think when you see your kids so happy and so joyful about something, like, for instance, like, our son loves outdoors, outdoorsiness. He's an outdoorsman, and, like, he loves bugs and gardening and dirt and things like that. He doesn't so much love to get dirty, but he loves the dirt, and he's fascinated with making things grow and and seeing how things can change. He loves process. So the Easter Bunny brought him lots of things to do with gardening, like little peat pots and seeds, soil, different things like that, so he can get his plants started inside before he plants them outside. So he's like super stoked to be doing that. And then for our youngest, I mean, she's three. She loves princesses. So of course the Easter Bunny brought princess dolls and and then what do you do when Easter is diabetic? What do you do when your kid's diabetic? Well, you do the same thing you do like for regular Easter. They, you do, you know, you do balance. With a child that's not diabetic, everyone says, what are you going to get? <clears throat> like for Easter, for candy, what are you going to order? Like your son's diabetic. I'm like, well, it's called balance. I ordered the same thing that I would order if he wasn't diabetic. A little bit of Smart Sweets was a candy that has like three grams of like sugar for a whole pack. They're great, great for diabetics, but they don't mess with the blood sugar. And then regular things like Kinder Eggs, you just got to be prepared for it with the insulin and things like that and jelly beans. But then things like crafts and bubbles and kites and fun outside stuff because the weather's warming up and they're outside more. Like they go for a ton of hikes. The kids love for the hikes. They like, they love to go out, be out in the bush and like be out in the woods and stuff like that. But like kind of the summer's coming and so it's like soccer balls and baseballs and t-balls and things they can take to the park and things like that. Things they can take to the park and play with. Frisbees, but like I say, bubbles. Everyone loves bubbles. Even adults love bubbles. I caught Rob blowing bubbles and having a blast with the kids and uh, (laughs) he didn't know I was watching. I'm sorry, my allergies are horrible, and I'm drinking dairy, too, so that's that's awesome. Oh, Rob's grandparents got the vaccine. Oh, my God, it makes us so happy. We're so, like, happy for them because they've both been through a lot of health stuff, so it's nice to know that they're vaccinated now, at least with the first vaccine with this coronavirus crap, and uh, they'll be a little bit more safe. I don't have to worry about them as much. 
So that was a nice Easter gift. Easter is actually a huge, huge holiday in my family. And it's a, it's a huge holiday in a lot of families. It's, it's a huge ha holiday, uh, holiday in a lot of Eastern European culture, especially my culture. I remember like as a child, the kind of Easter's we would have. Now, number one, we have Easter, which falls like now, but then we also had Orthodox Easter, which we celebrated with like my aunts and uncles who are, you know, my mom's and dad's friends who are like so close that we call them aunts and uncles, not always just family, like blood family, but extended family too. So I remember, you know, any Easter going over to my Auntie Mary's house, for instance, and my Uncle Tom's house, and they lived in Kilworth. And I remember always the weather always being nice when we were kids at Easter and it being warmer, maybe because the I'm remembering Orthodox Easter's and they're closer to May. Like this year, I say it falls May 2nd. And the weather's obviously nicer in May than it is in April, generally speaking. But I remember these big outdoor Easter egg hunts and we'd find like the bait, like the giant chocolate eggs and the big rabbits and like cream eggs and you know all the fun eggs my my aunt and uncle like went like all out all the time and all the cousins would be there because like european families like there are like a lot of kids so there'd be like oh gosh i can't even i can't even count on both my hands how many kids would be there there was always a lot of kids to play with and it was always great growing up you know what i mean because like my sister and I had each other, which was siblings, which is, it's always having, like, it's an amazing thing to have a sibling to play with if you get along. Because we always had each other to play with, but then, like, there was, like, always, like, the cousins and, like, the extended cousins and that, my Aunt Mary's kids and my Auntie Carol's kids, and we all kind of played together. And, but we'd go out and we'd have these Easter egg hunts, and they were, like, epic. My Uncle Tom was out there hiding those eggs, and, like, they had this pool. It was really, really long, and they had the big slide at the top. And I remember every year my Uncle Tom would put like the Easter eggs, like the ones that I liked, like, like the cream eggs. As a kid, I loved sugar. As an adult, I hate it. But he'd hide them on like the rungs of the pool, uh, like ladder to get up to the, to, the, to the slide. And then at the top of the slide, there'd be like one of those big eggs that look like they're in critters, but they're like filled with shit. So it'd be like an amazing egg filled with caramel bars or a bunch of eggs or so you climb to the top. If you did your your due diligence and you did your work and you worked it and you put your thing down and flipped it and reversed it, you'd find all the Easter eggs. Holy shit. You were one lucky little kid growing up there. And my parents did a lot for us, too. And my grandparents and extended family, they did a lot for us, too, growing up as far as like Easter. I always remember like a lot of food. And that's like me, too, like it's ridiculous the amount of food that I cooked for four people, like myself and Rob and our two kids. Like, and our kids are six and three, so it's not like they eat that much. Making a like a thirty pound turkey is ridiculous, but I I did it. Making a giant ham on the smoker is ridiculous, but I did it because it's just it's tradition like for us. Like, we would have like a Polish like Easter basket, and it would have different things in it. They'd have like a lamb that was made out of butter in it, the butter lamb. I don't know if anyone is a traditional Polish person. But if you are, you know about butter lamb, bitch. It is around Easter. You had an Easter basket and be filled with all kinds of different things. Um, and one of the things would be butter, but it would be in the shape of a lamb. So you would go to your deli, generally your, your Polish deli, and they would have a bunch of these lambs made out of butter. And there, a lot of them are really beautiful and ornate, but now you can kind of get molds and just make your own butter lamb because there aren't a lot of butter lambs going down with coronavirus, but you take 
their Easter basket and you have your Easter, a special Easter bread in it. Dried mushrooms, usually like a spirit you'd made um, through the years, like over the year, throughout the year, kind of soaking currants or whatever berries kind of you had in a spirit, like a very strong alcohol. And you'd bring it to church and you'd get your Easter baskets blessed. You put your eggs in them and the priest would bless them and things. And that's just not something we can do now. It's not something that I've done for, oh God, ages. But I mean, it's, we still make Easter baskets and it's a big like deal to us. And Easter is still huge. So that's why I took on the big meal and I still made it and the mashed potatoes and the stuffing and all the things because it's important to me. Easter is a huge holiday. It signifies rebirth. It signifies renewal. It's springtime. Things are being born. Things are sprouting out of the ground. It's a wonderful time. I love Easter for that reason. It signifies so many special things for me at least. And I hope for you too. But I just always remember just Easter being great. So now, now, now that I'm seeing like things like Rob's grandparents are getting vaccinated and things like that, I'm seeing tons of my friends who work at the hospital uh, they get vaccinated too because they have like a lottery where they get, you know, kind of to see who gets it first and who's on the front line. And, and I'm seeing these things on Instagram and people are hashtagging vaxies, like a selfie, but it's like a, a, a selfie that you take of yourself when you get your vaccine. And it's so cool that I'm seeing all these. So I can't wait till I can post mine, but it doesn't look like it's going to be for a while because I don't like work at a hospital or anything like that, or like a grocery store, like so a frontline person. But I'm happy to see these and I'm happy to see that they're trending. It's really fucking cool. Replace the, the selfie with the vaccine. It's, 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 it's amazing. It's amazing. Watching lots of things late at night on TV. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. So many things to watch on TV. Well, there's so many documentaries that I'm watching because I'm working on a, a project right now that is doing something with a documentary. And I'm always doing voiceover work on things like documentaries. So I'm, I'm watching them for this purpose, but also because I'm really interested in documentaries. It's like a book on television. I love to read. And we watched, uh, oh, a couple, a couple, uh, this week that were, one was a bit cringy. It was called Beware the Slender Man. And it was on HBO. It was like a, it was like a hot docs. And I don't know if you guys are familiar with the Slender Man and who he is. Um, it's like a thing that kids see on YouTube. It's from this dark side of the internet that I found out about through this website called Creepy Pasta. And it's like a really tall, skinny guy. And apparently he's in the woods, like with a tie. And like it was a popular Halloween costume for kids. And I didn't really know what it was, to be perfectly honest. I thought it was a Halloween costume for kids, but I knew that it was like a killer or a murderer or something. And I knew it wasn't good, but I didn't know much about it beyond that. And I talked to friends of mine after the fact and like in the video game world, they're like, oh my God, you don't know about the Slender Man? I'm like, no, like what, 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 what's with the Slender Man? So Rob and I watched this documentary, Be Beware the Slender Man. And it was a mediocre documentary, but I mean, it really got the job done as far as arch archival footage and filling you in on what kind of happened. And it involved these girls that, that started watching this Slender Man on this creepypasta website. Teenage girls, well, almost teenage girls, preteen girls, 12 year old girls, and they started watching this Slender Man and listening to him and his videos. And this is like a made up character. This is not a real person. And they have like a folklore behind this. And he started telling them to do things like kill their friends. And if they didn't kill their friends and if they didn't do certain things for him, their families would die. So truth be told or not, these girls kind of said that, uh, you know, we believed him. And so what had happened was with these stories, 
and the Slender Man trying to convince these girls to do these horrible things and these violent things. Like, I am talking violent, really, really fucking violent things. Vile, horrible fucking things. Oh, you'll have to watch it if you want to say, because it, like, I, it's so much of a trigger warning. It's, it's, it's too much. It's, it's too much. So they drag their friend out into the woods and the one little girl, a bunch of 12 year olds, three 12 year old little girls drag their best friends out to the woods to play under the guise of this Slender Man game or whatever. And the one girl stabbed her little girlfriend 19 fucking times. She stabbed this little girl. Holy shit. Like, I cannot stand cruelty when it comes to children. And holy fuck, when I heard this, all I could think is, holy fuck, I hope they tried as adults. Like, oh my God, what the fuck? So this happened years ago. And spoiler alert, the, the one little girl that was stabbed 19 times, thank goodness by some miracle, I don't know what, dragged herself and you know to somewhere and got some help. But then the this, the rest of the the film is a series of like police interviews and things that transpired and what happened with these girls and the Slender Man and it just shows you how fucked up shit is on the internet and like you really got to monitor what your kids are watching they can get access to this through anything I don't care how old they are like put that kids YouTube on your phone or their iPads and stuff watch what they're fucking watching man because like this stuff is very convincing children are impressionable at times. And something on the internet's telling them to kill their friends and they're listening. Like, a 12-year-old kid, do you think they'd be, you know, with it enough not to believe this thing? But they're scared of it, so they did. So that was, that was really scary. So 19 stab wounds on your best friend? Thanks, Slender Man. That's fucked. So, oh, God, I miss, like, commercials. So I watch documentaries <laughs> and things about killing people. Don't... We don't watch TV, like actual TV. Like we'll watch the news and things like that, but we don't watch actual like channels because we have like a fire stick and we pay for HBO and we pay for Amazon and Prime and Netflix and def different platforms and things like that. But I was thinking the other day, I was thinking like, oh God, I miss commercials. And we were talking about Coke commercials and I said that I get dry, my mouth gets dry really late at night. Once in a while, if it's in the house, I'll have a Coca-Cola and then like go brush my teeth. But I'm always really afraid to like open a can of something in our house because the way the sound carries. So I said I had like to rob, I had this idea of going to open up like the can of Coke or like usually it's a club soda for me with lemon, which is also not amazing because of the, the, just this acidity of it. But I love club soda with a lemon. It's just amazing. So I said, I would just, I don't want to wake the kids. So I kind of like picture myself like on a commercial creeping outside onto the porch to like open this can of pop or whatever soda or whatever it is and cracking it and like it being pitch black, you know, two in the morning, the neighborhood's pitch black. And then all the lights you see and all the houses turn on and all the babies are crying and all the kids are awake. And I didn't wake my kids up, but I fucking woke everybody else's goddamn kids up. And so he and I had a good laugh about that. It was funny. And then I started watching another film because Rob was just wrapping a series recently. So I've been doing some different studies on different documentaries that that uh, interest me especially counterculture documentaries I love that stuff I, I love reading about counterculture in the 60s and hippies because I'm definitely uh definitely a heavy metal hippie definitely at heart but I was watching uh one amazing film and it's actually an Errol Morris film and I love Errol Morris just to begin with and I didn't know it was actually Errol Morris until 
the minute I saw it, the way it was being shot and Rob had kind of walked past the screen and looked at it and went, is this Errol Morris? And I don't think he was terribly interested in the content, but it was called My Psychedelic Love Story. And it's the story of Johanna Harcourt Smith, who was a European socialite and actually kind of like an acid queen, uh, princess sort of lady. She was very, very interested in drug counterculture and very, very encouraging and very positive of psychedelic drugs and psychedelic drug use. She ended up getting hitched to Timothy Leary, who, if you don't know who Timothy Leary, he was kind of the high priest of, of LSD. He kind of toured around with the Merry Pranksters, people like uh, Allen Ginsberg and Ken Kesey. You know, he wrote One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, Allen Ginsberg, people like that. Uh, Timothy Leary was also a teacher and he was a, he was an American psychologist and a writer and he wrote very famously about psychedelic drugs. He used psychedelic drugs very famously and very unapologetically and ended up, he ended up his, his, he ended his ass up in jail for using a lot of LSD and drugs. And, uh, this woman, Joanna Harcourt Smith, kind of became his acid queen. They met, she was 26, he was 52 at the time. There was a bit of an age difference, but they shared a common bond. They loved each other very much. And they shared this common bond of, of, of acid. They loved psychedelic drugs. They were always going on trips places physically. I mean, Belize. And she was talking about all these amazing destinations they went to. But all while they were on trips, they were on trips. So taking acid. So the way this film is made is just, it was beautiful. I loved the, it wasn't so much like I say the subject matter, which is fascinating because I do love the 60s and counterculture. And I love Timothy Leary. I think he's a brilliant writer. I've read everything that he has written because like I say, I love to read and I just eat that stuff up. It's just, it's fantastic to read about all the corners of the mind that, I mean, I've never been to those corners of my mind. Those are some crazy fucking corners, but someone who wants to expand their mind that far and to kind of experiment with it that hard and to have the courage to do that, I mean, is crazy. It's, 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 it's insane, but it's the best kind of insane because he's documented it. He's a writer. He's, he's an artist. He's these things. And like I say, I've read everything he's, he's written. So I find Timothy Leary very fascinating. So to watch this documentary, like I say, was, was really cool, but the way it was filmed, it was just beautiful. The cinematography was just my hats off. Like the cinematography was just fantastic. It was very natural. And like, again, it was good archival footage, good, just the cuts were clean. I just, I sound like a filmmaker's wife now. Christ on a cracker on, 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 on Easter. Fuck. <laughs> well, I'll tell you my, my shining glory, my shining glory of the last little while has been, I have got Sir Robert McCallum hooked on, on, on Twin Peaks. That boy loves a good mystery. I will tell you, he loves good mysteries and he loves a good story and loves good storytelling. So, I mean, who is a great storyteller? I mean, and who tells a great mystery? Sir David of, of Lynch was, we love David Lynch. We love our lunch, but we love our Lynch. I love David Lynch and I always have. I've always loved, you know, Blue Velvet and just, I love David Lynch and I've loved Twin Peaks. I remember being on when I was a kid and I remember being like my parents kind of talking about it. And I remember it being like a show that was like kind of deemed like scary and I wasn't like allowed to watch it. Like I'd fucking never let Harrison watch Twin Peaks. Fuck no, I'd never let my kids watch Twin Peaks. Not at their age, holy shit. And now I know when I was a child, 
why I wasn't allowed to watch Twin Peaks, but I watched it as an older kid and was absolutely fascinated by it. And now Rob's absolutely fascinated by it and he loves it. I think it's been like a relationship achievement level intermediate, unlocked, like crazy. It's like Dale Cooper would be so proud. I'm having a damn fine cup of coffee right now. I wish I was having a fucking donut, but I'm not. Mmm. Or some pie. You know that, that one episode in the first season where they shoot that poor fucking minor bird and it's just blood goes all over those fucking donuts? That might be one of my saddest parts in Twin Peaks. But at, anyways, I've got Rob hooked on Twin Peaks, which is, again, a shining moment for moi because je t'aime. I love I loved Twin Peaks. Love Twin Peaks. We're actually going to do a whole episode of Twin Peaks... Now that I've got him almost through season one, he's just got to watch the last episode. Um, and then we've got to get him through the rest of, the, obviously, the rest of the seasons. And then, obviously, Fire Walk With Me, which always gets so much fucking hate. Because people don't understand. It's a fucking prequel, folks. Like, ugh, stop hating and just watch it. And you'll see that it's so good. But you won't understand Fire Walk With Me if you haven't seen Twin Peaks, like, as a whole. It's got to be watched as, like, as a, a whole thought. And if you don't understand David Lynch, then I don't, I don't understand you. <laughs> but anyways, if you know what the Black Lodge is, I want to be your friend. Fuck. So, we are going to have a live video Twin Peaks episode. Think between two ferns, but we're going to go between two peaks and it's going to be awesome and there will be ambient music and I bet you there will be mountains and it's going to be lots of fun and it'll just be a lot of just talking back and forth about Twin Peaks. We might bring a guest or two on who are also big Twin Peaks fans because we have some very good friends who are very, very well versed in Twin Peaks. I have one particular friend that I can think of in general and she is likely the biggest Twin Peaks fan I have ever met and ever known in my entire life. So loyal and like just amazing and the knowledge. And then she's been everywhere that is Twin Peaks and everything that has to do with Twin Peaks. I, so much respect for this girl. I'm not going to name drop her. Whether she's listening or not, she knows who she is. She's the biggest fucking Twin Peaks fan ever. She's also a huge Kitty fan. She is a rad chick. And that's one of those Kitty fans that I've met in real life. They're like, we're friends on Facebook. We've met in real life. You know, I don't mind them watching my kids grow up. I know that they're, you know, like solid fucking awesome people. Another cool thing Kitty has brought to my life is that. So this is a, another friend, fan turned friend, and she loves Twin Peaks. So once uh, we have that episode, maybe she'll grace us with her presence. I'd, I'd actually love to have her on. She's a, she's a wonderful person and she's a wonderful person to talk to. Put some David Lynch music, ambient music on in the background and just go Twin Peaks for I could go for hours, but the episode would never fucking end. Could you imagine? Honestly. Honestly. So, you know, parents were afraid Twin Peaks was going to scare their kids. Twin Peaks still, like the second season, still freaks me out because it gets like out there, right? It gets freaky. It gets scary. Uh, it gets weird. Everything about it's so good. So... It's, it's amazing. So we were talking about being scared of things and parents not letting you watch things because they were scary. And we started talking about phobias and how our six-year-old wanted to watch arachnophobia. So we wanted to make sure that everybody was involved in making this decision for him. So we called his dad and said, hey, is this cool? 
and uh is that he watches arachnophobia i mean he's six and he said cool you know it's a steven spielberg film we know that we thought the same thing it's cool there's nothing really scary in it nothing that he hasn't seen you know on plants versus zombies or whatever so he watched arachnophobia and he just thought it was awesome but i think he was like so let down at the end that there weren't like giant spiders taking over the world that <laughs> that that he, like he thought it was going to be something that it wasn't he thought arachnophobia was like this big taboo movie that like rob and i were keeping from him and like oh my god that he wasn't allowed to watch because it was like so scary but it's like really like just john goodman in his motherfucking glory squishing the fuck out of spiders which i do not like spiders i think they're beautiful majestic creatures and i have a ton of respect for spiders but fuck i don't like them when it comes to like i'm not arachnophobic but get that shit the fuck away from me get the spider away from me i had a spider crawl across my hand one time rob had been away on a business trip i think he was in california shooting something with kevin smith Yes. And he, it was at like a He-Man thing and Kevin Smith happened to be there and they happened to shoot with him. And I ended up having to get a hold of him because a spider had crawled across my hand. It was trying to crawl across our little girl at the time. And she was just tiny at the time. She was like, I don't know, just over a year old. And the spider crawled across and tried to get her. So I put my hand in the way and it landed on my hand and it stood there for a second and then it bit me. And I couldn't fucking feel my hand for days. So here he is trying to fucking interview Kevin Smith. And I've got a fucking spider bite on my hand. So I'm like, oh my God, I don't know what to do. So I like, this is way before lockdown times. Because like I say, he was in California and he was traveling. And like I say, our little girl was just like, just one. So this is ages ago. I couldn't feel my hand for like a week. So I do not like spiders. And before that, my phobia was giving birth just generally, because with my first baby, um, he was at an emergency C-section and I was afraid of giving birth because obviously going through a C-section, it's slightly traumatic when getting split open kind of from soup to nuts. They drape you. They put a drape up over your abdomen so they can't see what's happening. So number one, you go into the hospital, you know, thinking you're going to have a baby like they say you're going to in birthing class and, you know, you're ready for anything though because... In birthing class, though, they don't really, like, teach you about C-sections. They tell you, like, kind of not to have an epidural. They tell you breast is best. They tell you, they they kind of say a lot of things like that's guided by the health unit. So they, they tell you what they think, and they don't really teach you about what's going to happen if you have a C-section. They kind of teach you what's going to happen if you have the perfect birth without an epidural. So that's kind of like what I was expecting. <laughs> no. We went into emergency tachycardia, which is, like, slow, slow heartbeat. Baby in distress. Mummy, blood pressure going way up. Mummy in distress. Mummy's got a temperature. Uh-oh. So I've got no one in the room at the time because we think I'm going to have like a normal, you know, birth. So everyone's gone down to the cafeteria to get a hot chocolate or coffee and I'm getting rushed into the fucking OR. Thank God I know the one nurse there. I went to public school with her. I'm puking. They're getting me ready for a C-section. I'm like, you're going to cut me open, aren't you? And they're like, no, no, we're just, uh we're just gonna, we're just gonna check you out. I'm like, I'm having a section. So the anesthesiologist turns to me and says, have you ever been under a general anesthetic before? I said, my epidural's working fine. You're not fucking pushing me, putting me to fucking sleep. Get him out. Let's go. Cause I knew the first baby was a boy. Cause we'd had a sonogram several times and they'd say that the gender was a boy. So that was H bomb in there. So he was out in like two seconds, one in one twenty six in the afternoon, 
he, like uh like no one had time to like scrub up and be in the operating room for him to be born he was out so fucking quick but they put a drape over me i heard him cry so i knew he was cool i'm yelling at the doctors going does he have 10 fingers and 10 toes is everything okay he's crying is he still a boy and they said congratulations yeah he's he is still a boy miss candler you know <laughs> everything's okay he's fine he got a great you know apgar score and next, I was pregnant with my daughter a few years later. Rob and I were pregnant, and we found out we were having a little girl. And since I'd had a C-section before, I talked to my obstetrician before. And this is something I know for boy listeners who have wives who've had babies, who have had C-sections. They do something, if you want to have a regular birth, out the V-hole. After you've had a C-section, they call that a V-back, a vaginal birth after a cesarean. That's what they call that, after a cesarean section. A V-back. So I said to my obstetrician, you know, how doable is this? I've never had a baby before, like the natural way. I've just had it the C-section way. She said, well, do you want to have another C-section? I said, fuck no, I do not. Can we try this the other way? She said, well, you're small, but you're you're healthy right now, and you, you take care of yourself as a healthy pregnancy. Let's Let's go for it baby's good so we went for the pregnancy with a v-back and i'll tell you my phobia was giving birth the regular way because i did not know what the hell to do i did not know what to do so birth was actually amazing i went into labor with her when it when we were in the birthing room it was myself rob her godmother kyla who filmed the whole thing and the doctor and the nurse it was calm it was very quiet. It was unlike my first birthing experience, which was very like, they rushed me into an operating room because they were scared, obviously. They weren't trying to scare me. They were scared for myself and the baby. When you get a maternal temperature during birth, it is not a good situation. It can turn into a dire situation, especially with a baby with a slowed heart rate. So they wanted to make sure everybody was doing the safest thing. So that's what they did. And I had a brilliant doctor uh, who, who did that C-section. She was amazing. She, uh, she saved my life. She was amazing. I lost a lot of blood there and very grateful for, for, for her, for saving our little one and getting him out because, uh, he's, he was number one there. So after my beautiful, beautiful birth with this little girl, the Scarlet came out. There's a, like, there's videos on the internet of it with Love Studios did a beautiful birthing video. Honestly, like the epidural worked. Everything was like beautiful. She was out. I hardly had to push. She was out in like 14 minutes. Like Rob was the most amazing birthing coach I have ever had. Oh my God. He sat there. He like, he put ice on my forehead. He talked me through it. We did vis visualization techniques. Everything was calm and quiet and low lit. These are two totally different like birthing experiences. And she came out, the doctors put her on my chest and everything like that. And it was beautiful and they weighed her and everything was fine. But I'll tell you, after you have a baby, something comes out after you have the baby. After you have a baby, guess what comes out after you have the baby? The house that she has been living in inside of you for nine months. Her whole motherfucking house and cobwebs and lava lamps and shit have to come out too. And this is when they don't tell you about this shit in birthing class. So I'm going to fucking tell you about it now. And if you get grossed out easily, then cover your fucking ears. But if you get grossed out easily, I'm guessing you don't fucking listen to my podcast. So maybe don't cover your ears. This 
is when the nurse scares the shit of your birthing partner, your husband, your wife, your partner, whoever you got in the room with you, your sister, your brother, your mother, your father, whoever you got, your uncle, your aunt, whoever's helping you out on the birthing journey. Maybe you're all by yourself. Maybe all you got in there is your nurse and your doctor. Who knows? But I'll tell you, your baby is safe, your baby is weighed. And then what do they do? They fucking juice you. That nurse gets on top of your ass and she starts pushing down on your abdomen and juicing you and pushing all the fucking shit that was inside of you while you were going to have that baby, all the fluid and the tissue and the placenta and the blah, 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 blah. All that stuff has to come out. All of it. All of it. And they juice you. So that was horrible. Kyla, our, our godmother, was not in for that part. But, uh, oh my God. Oh my God. Rob was... And he, like, had, like, the look on his face, like, he was like, what are you doing to my my wife? Like, what are you doing to her? Why are you hurting her? And he's, like, holding Scarlet, because she's, like, I mean, just born. She's just a few minutes old. And they're juicing me, like, you wouldn't believe. Like, this is after she's breastfed and everything like that. But, so, we did not know to expect that. And so, then after that, they take us to a room. I actually, after I had Scarlet, my blood pressure went up. All of a sudden, I started having something called eclampsia. So that's when your blood pressure gets dangerously high and you are in risk of having a stroke. So I had to stay in the hospital for a, quite a bit with Scarlett. At just I did with our first, with Harrison. So he, and, uh, so first I was doing what they do called a ward room. I was like, I don't need a private. I'm going to be in the hospital for a day and then I'll get out. Not realizing I was going to have high blood pressure because I'd had a good pregnancy. The whole pregnancy was tight as fuck. The whole pregnancy was pretty good. I had a lot of pain, but blood pressure was good. I didn't gain too much weight. Things were good. Oh my God. Until I got moved into this private room. It was quiet, quiet, quiet. No one else was in there. And I was there for, I don't know, six or eight hours bonding with the baby. Everything was cool. And then they brought in a roommate and oh fuck, did I get the roommate from hell? Holy fuck. Everything was cool until fucking baby Atticus got there. This kid's name was Atticus, not the kid's fault. Beautiful name beautiful child but oh my god if this lady did not have like 50 fucking visitors at all times of the day and night like when it was visiting hours when it wasn't visiting hours she had people sitting all over the bed spilling cheeseburgers and fucking ketchup all over the place we'd be trying to sleep because you know you're trying to sleep because you've had a baby because you're like tired and shit you know what I'm talking about. If you've had a baby, people have been in the hospital having babies. Like even like men who haven't birthed a baby out of their bodies know how fucking tiring it is to be up all the time with a brand new baby that doesn't sleep and that's hungry all the time and wants to eat. That's what babies do. This woman, I don't know what she was on, but she would call the nurse, be like, I spilled my coffee. And then like the next minute, You'd hear Paw Patrol blasting at like three o'clock in the morning. And she, I think, was thinking that maybe she was entertaining her baby. And she'd be like, Atticus, go to sleep. And like the nurse would have to come in and feed the baby. This woman, I don't know if she was like maybe on some kind of drugs and like detoxing. But the nurses were in with her so much. It was becoming like so disruptive. So finally, my blood pressure was so high. The nurses came in. All of a sudden, I have like about a million nurses come marching towards me. I'm like, what's happening? Rob wasn't in the room. It was just me and Scarlett. I'm like, what the fuck's going on? We were so sick of this woman and her bullshit. Rob's like, fuck this. Let This is not good for your blood pressure. He called my obstetrician. My obstetrician's like, she needs to be in a private room. She can't handle the stress of this woman yelling all the time, having her family there 24-7, having, you know, like 20 people in a private room. trying to Hospital rooms are small. and Trying to cram all those people in 
Plus, you just had a baby, which is kind of like, you know, that's a traumatic experience, you know, pushing that out of your body. So maybe having 20 visitors all the time isn't so nice. So that said, we moved to a private. So I had like 20 nurses marching towards me. I'm like wondering what's going on. They're like, we're moving you, dear. So we moved to a private. It was much quieter. Blood pressure went down. We were able to bond much better. We didn't have any more trouble from crazy lady and baby Atticus. But I, goddamn, I worry about that kid. And I wonder where he is now and if he's okay. Because that was like a whole fucking parade of people to see that baby. Because holy flying fuck. That was the roommate from hell. I, I, yeah, I'm done. So, yeah. And that was before, like, lockdowns. Now you can't even, like, visit anybody in the hospital You've got to be, like, one person in the hospital if you go. Because, again, like I said, we're in lockdown again in London. So that means no a lot of things. And lockdowns are strange. Because, like, you can't get your hair cut or anything like that. Or you can't get a tattoo. And and these shops are, like, you know, small. And they let one or two people in. But you can go to places like Walmart, which are, like, gigantic. And they let, like, a shitload of people in. Like, I've seen the fucking people's TikTok videos. They're not following social distancing and masking and shit at places like Costco and shit. They're all over each other. And they're lined up. Yet, I've got friends that have got to, like, close their doors to their businesses and restaurants and things like that. They're locking down the wrong things. You know? Maybe they should let small businesses have a fucking crack at things. I'm all for lockdowns and masking and social distancing a hundred percent, but it's called too little too late. They should have been doing this over a year ago and shutting everything down on a bigger level. And so people didn't get hurt this bad, but now we're just entering lockdown after lockdown, after lockdown, after lockdown. And that's unfortunately what they're doing. They're backpedaling. They're making excuses. So like I say, we're in lockdown again, so we can't have haircuts. So I was starting to look like a a gelfling that had lost its place of residence. I kind of looked like a wayward, like hooker gelfling. So I gave myself a haircut. The kids have had haircuts and Rob, I was finally able to cut his hair because he finally wrapped he he sold two shows. I don't know if I'm allowed to say what channel he sold them to. He sold he sold two shows, and he just wrapped taping one of them. So he'd been begging me for a haircut, but couldn't get one because he had had these shows and he couldn't transform himself into a new person halfway through one of the shows. So he wrapped filming the one show. So finally, it was COVID cut time, and he trusted me. Bless his fucking heart, with a pair of scissors and clippers and all that stuff to cut his hair. And so I cut his hair, and oh my god, that shit is tight, yo. I'm not saying I'm a barber or anything like that, because that is, like, totally, like, not giving props to my friends who actually, like, went to school for it and know what they're doing. But I did a pretty decent job. It looks really nice. Maybe number three might happen. Look out, all these people having these coronavirus quarantine babies. What if I get pregnant? Oh god. I am allergic to latex, after all. (laughs) Jokes, jokes, I'm kidding. Turns out I'm not too bad doing hair. So yeah, cutting hair is not bad. I think even after the quarantine, I I, I like cutting hair. It's, It's relaxing. I remember my dad always cutting my hair. And the first time we went to actually go getting, to go get haircuts, like at a legit place, we went to like Kitty Cuts. It was like beside Toys R Us. And when we got home, it was all uneven, all fucked up. And my dad had to fucking fix it anyway. So that's, like, it's ridiculous. 
We're doing all kinds of things this week to, 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 to have fun and stay fun. I was on another podcast actually last week. I put it on my Instagram where you can find me there at 21st century rocker mom. Uh, my good pal Mercedes and her husband, Stephen have a very funny podcast. You can find it that sexy podcast. I went on to their podcast to read some, some sexy vintage erotica and try not to die laughing. Well, I failed at why well, I'm still alive, but holy shit, did I ever have a good time reading some vintage erotica on there. So I've put that up on my 21st century rocker mom, uh, uh, Oh God, I've put the link up and you guys can find it. It's on their YouTube. It's on the That Sexy Podcast YouTube. You can't find it on my YouTube. But if you go on the That Sexy Podcast YouTube, you'll find it. It's very explicit. So just send your kids out the room like you do when you listen to my podcast because it's filthy. But I was laughing my ass off. I had so much fun on that podcast and I'm so grateful for them having me on. And we had so much fun just laughing about it. We had a great time. Oh my God. And of course, things to do for fun, but also to help the world is we've got a charity coming down the pipe. We've been working fiercely with, with bearded folks because you know, I'm always up on that woolly wizard roulette for beard oil. And we, we love the woolly wizard and, uh, Wooly Wizard and friends have been helping us out, not just the Wooly Wizard, but actually the most of the bearded community and some of the unbearded community has been helping with a charity that uh, I'd cooked up. I'd read a story not too long ago about a mom having to decide between getting her kids shoes and paying for diabetic supplies. And the story... Uh, the story fucking crushed me. Like it just, like it absolutely fucking crushed me. Their family did not know what they were going to do. And I know that there are a lot of kids and I read about a lot of kids that can't afford their insulin or can't afford their diabetes supplies or their pump supplies. And they're not living as well as they could be living. They can't afford healthy food. And I mean, diabetes research foundations always looking for a cure they're always, always, always fighting for a cure for this diabetes that so many people are living with and dealing with and trying to manage. And the story broke my heart. And I thought nobody should live like that. And I started sharing the story with some of my, my bearded friends. And I, I actually, I shared it, I shared it with, with Rob first, cause I was quite upset. And, uh, we decided that, uh, why not, why not have a charity? Why not have a charity involve the bearded community? Because the bearded community, there's one thing I can say about the bearded community. They love to do charity work and they love to do charity work, especially for children. They've got big beards and they've got big hearts. I will tell you that much. I can say that. I got 56 messages in my inbox from the bearded community, and I will all call it community, and this is whether, this is including people that have beards and no beards. Like, the second day I put something up for this charity, I said, we're going to make a whole bunch of beard oils, and I'm going to make them with help from my friends in the bearded community. They're going to be my bearded gurus. I'm going to have my one main Gandalf, and then I got my other, like, Gandalfs, all my other gurus kicking around, helping me to craft these beard oils and sell them I'm going to sell them and 
sell them through my bearded friends. I'm going to obviously sell them to my friends for like wholesale and they can sell it for whatever they want and give the money as long as the money goes to charity. That's all I care about. So we're going to sell all these beard oils that we make. However, there's a twist on it. We're going to have our son help with the art because he is diabetic and the scent profiles in these bottles of beard oil, they're actually going to be cobalt blue. Believe it or not, the second day, the second day that I put a notification up about this charity that we're talking about, if anyone wants to help, you know, just give me a shout out. I got a shout out from actually one of a, a local London female run business, a business that I love and support. She decided to remain anonymous. She just doesn't want to drop her name for now, but we will find out who she is. She said, how would you like a whole bunch of cobalt blue bottles donated by a local London business for your beard oils? And I'm thinking to myself, like, are you kidding me? She's like, I could have them to your porch by this day. I mean, this girl, like her kindness just came pouring out. She doesn't have a beard. She has nothing to gain from this. And I mean, nothing, the bearded community doesn't have anything to gain from this either. I'm so overwhelmed by the kindness and the outpouring of community and people wanting to help with this. It's really cool. So we're going to do that. So but we're also going to document it. So we're going to be talking to a lot of beard personalities via, because it is pandemic, via Zoom calls and interviews and things like that. And we're going we're gonna to turn it into a TV series. And you guys are going to guide me on my way to making beard oil and benefiting people like like our son who has type 1 diabetes and benefiting children with diabetes, the Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation and children that cannot afford their insulin or their diabetic supply. So we're really, really, really super excited to announce that charity is coming. It's, I mean, beard, I am learning that beard oil scent profiles are not something to be taken lightly. I'm reading a lot and I'm learning a lot from my bearded friends and fellows and the bearded community. It is, uh, it is a craft in itself. That's why I say I'm not a butcher, a baker, a candlestick maker. I'm learning. So if I flub up, um, the woolly wizard's going to be responsible for making all of these oils single-handedly. So <laughs> that'll be on him. He can be the Gandalf of those oils. But we're going to document it and see what happens. I've got good guides, so I feel good about it. And we're going to have Harrison have help pick out the flavor profiles. Uh, some of them will be sweet, some of them not so much. I want to hear from you, too, and what you want to smell and uh, what, what kind of scent profiles you think would smell good as a diabetic smell. Like, diabetes is all about having too much sugar, so I'm thinking a lot of sweet smells. All kinds of fun stuff coming down the pipe. But it's great that it's fun, and it's something we can get our kids involved in too like you won't be seeing his picture that's not uh not really my style but uh he is gonna have a hand in it putting the art on the bottles and uh there I have a few people I want to call on for art because I I know there are a few especially one or two of my followers that I uh that I love their art and I I, I comment on it regularly and I love their art and I would be honored if they could do some for some bottles so that is coming down the pipe it's just it's just amazing what uh, people will do and how people will come together for a common goal to help others when there's really nothing in it for themselves. People can be really selfish in this world, but people can be really amazing and unselfish and respectful and kind and wonderful. So you kind of got to just see that side of things because, you know, 
it's easy to see the shitty side, but it's so nice to just see the bright side, isn't it? Isn't it nicer to just see the world through a different colored glass? You just see the cup is half full. You can see the cup is half empty. You could drink the whole cup. It's on you. It's on you. But, you know, I'm just, I'm floored by people's kindness. It's amazing. So the kindness remind me of that we still have so many good people in the world. So, so, so many good people in the world. Oh, speaking of good people in the world, you talk about good people in the world meeting mother-in-laws. Oh my gosh. Good people in the world. Well, mother-in-laws are good people. We love mother-in-laws. We love moms. My God. I'll tell you about the first time that I met my mother-in-law. I will tell you, it was the weirdest fucking moment ever I have ever had in my life. Because imagine like the nervousness and anxiety of meeting your like new mother-in-law because I'm, I'm older and I'm dating now. When I met Rob's mom for the first time, like I was 34. So I was like super nervous. This isn't like, like a teenage girl going home to meet someone's parents. I'm like a grown-up going to meet someone's grown-up parents because I'm a grown-up and I'm also a parent too. So, you know, and I've heard a lot about Rob's mom and things like that. And then where Rob's mom lives, I'm having like deja vu while I'm meeting her. I'm like, what is, like, what the fuck is going on here? Like, why, why is this so weird? So I met her and we, we, we got along and it was, it was fine and everything like that, but it was, it was weird. There was something that was weird about it and I couldn't put my finger on it. What the fuck is so weird? So I'm, I, I remember I called my dad and I said I went over to Rob's mom's house and blah, blah, blah. And I kind of described where she lives. And he said, she lives where? And I told him where she lived. And he said, off of what street? And so I kind of let him know where she, she lives. He says, oh my God. So she lives in these condos. And uh, he asked me what number. And I told him. And he sounded like astounded. And I was like, what, what? He was like lost for words. He's like, that is the condo that we brought you home to when your mom and I first got married and we had you and you were a baby, that was the first place that you ever lived. The reason you had deja vu is, Tanya, is because you grew up there. So the most fucked up shit ever completely explains my deja vu. So we have all these pictures. Like now Rob and I have gone through these pictures because if you've been listening to previous episodes, my dad had dropped all these pictures off on the porch. So you've got all these pictures of me in like the Jolly Jumper and the high chair and it's Rob's mom's kitchen like now and it's like I mean it's the same orientation and it's so weird because we know what her place looks like now and versus like what it looked like when I was born like in the 80s holy shit and it's the weirdest thing but it's like deja vu and it's fate like imagine that that would happen like I grew up in the place where his mom would end up living and then we would end up being together. Like, I don't know. I think the world works in mysterious and sort of wonderful ways. And that was kind of like a really neat, weird story. It almost like freaked me out, but it's, it's really cool. So I'm pretty, I was, I was pretty stoked about that. So now when we look at these pictures of me as a baby, especially at, at the, at when we were in the condo, I look at him through, like, I look at the pictures through different eyes because it's definitely, it's definitely neat. And then speaking of Rob, of course, I've got Rob's question of the week. And it is, it's an Easter themed question. He wants to know what my favorite memory of, of Easter was from being a child. 
But I honestly, that is that is an easy one. I think he thought this one might be hard because I have a lot of favorite memories because I've always talked to him about how Easter was super important to me as a kid. And it still is an adult is really important. It's important that the kids have a really good Easter and they have a big egg hunt because that's what I remember from being a kid. It wasn't so much like what we got. It was like what we did. And it was always like the playing and the Easter egg hunt. It was the hunt. That's one thing Rob's really good at. He loves being like the Easter bunny and like hiding the eggs. And he hides them in the most sneaky places. And the kids like take forever to find them. But they have so much fun. And like he did that again like this year. And the kids had fun. But my, I got to tell you, my favorite Easter memory ever is my dad and my Oma. So my dad and his mother-in-law, my mom's mom. We'd always make giblet gravy, and I still make it to this day. I take out the neck and the heart and the lungs and the wings and the, the all the giblets, all the little pieces, everything that you get in the bag, and I boil it, and I make like a reduction and take out the turkey neck and everything like that. I make a gravy. Well, my dad and my Oma and everything would always do the same, but my dad and my Oma, my dad always says, oh, your Oma and I always used to fight over the turkey neck, because when you boil and braise like a turkey neck, it's almost like confit style because you put butter in the pot and you let it reduce and its own juices and it's very tender and it's moist and the meat's really good. So he says, you know, oh, when I talked to him uh, Easter, like this morning or Easter morning, I, uh, I had said to him, oh, geez, dad. He says, oh, you remember your Oma and I always used to fight over the turkey neck. I'm like, oh, I don't ever remember it being a fight. I always remember like my dad loving the turkey neck and my Oma loving the turkey neck and my dad would be always just be like, oh, you can have it. Oh, Olga, you can have it. Oh, mom, you can have it. So I don't ever remember there being a fight. And then when I said that to my dad, he kind of like burst out laughing because he kind of knew I was right. And I always remember my dad and my Oma like really bonding. Not a lot of people I know get along with their mother-in-laws, but my dad and my Oma definitely got along really well. And he always tells like really fond stories of her. So it's nice it's nice to hear that because I always remember her as a big part of uh, Easter and stuff with us too. She'd always do something special and my mom would do it too. Like she'd always remember to have like Easter baskets for us or she'd, even when we were older, she'd always have Easter bags for us. Even if it was like socks and underwear and new clothes and stuff like that, but she'd always put like little candies in it and made sure that we knew that we were being thought of. Like we always knew that someone was taking care of us and we were being thought of and someone was thoughtful. Like we always knew, even if it wasn't like a huge gift or anything like that, it wasn't so much the presence as it was the presence. We had always had a lot of love, you know, growing up. We always had a lot of hugs growing up. You know, we never worried about anything like, we never worried about much, to be perfectly honest. I think it was a different childhood than kids have now. We worried about kind of like when to come in because the streetlights were going to go, you know, on. When it was going to get dark and we get called in for dinner. That was the biggest worry when we were kids. We didn't worry about how big our Easter presents were going to be. We didn't worry about it, like how big our eggs were going to be. We were, we were worried about how much chocolate our friend got versus us. And I think now kids nowadays are actually coming back to that because I see it with my own kids. Because I see kids, of course I see kids examples all the time. And kids are just like really ungrateful. They're like, oh, I didn't get this. And I mean, all kids will do that, right? They'll flip out. I didn't get a bike or I didn't get roller skates or I didn't get this doll or I didn't get that. How dare you? How come the Easter Bunny or how come Santa Claus didn't bring this? Kids, it's just naturally that they get that. In adults, that's called being ungrateful. In kids, it's called being a kid and not getting being 
patient, you know, and not getting, you know, things in value and things cost money. But I think kids are getting now, and thanks actually to the pandemic, they're finding the value in things because especially like being outside, being in nature, going to the park, doing things more instead of buying things or going to the mall or doing things inside all the time or having to go buy something. Kids are learning to be different. They're learning to have their childhood kind of unplugged. I, for one, with an unplugged childhood, am all for it. My kids have like picked up instruments. They want to play piano. They want to monkey around with guitars. They want to dink around with ukuleles and pianos and stuff. I have got like a recorder and a whistle like going off like 24-7 and an accordion in my house. Do I care? Not really. Honestly, the noise doesn't bother me because it's music. One of these days, these kids, like I say, they'll fucking rule the world. All the kids will. It depends how you're going to raise them. You're going to raise them to be little fucking assholes or are you going to let them expand their minds? Are you going to let them experiment? Are you going to let them finger paint? Are you going to let them draw on the walls? Are you going to let them color outside the lines? Yeah, I am going to let them color outside the lines. Am I going to let them be loud and play with their, their toys and have loud toys and or I'm going to tell them to be quiet? I'll never tell them to be quiet. I'm going to let them be who they are because who they are is great. And you know what? Who you are is fucking great. You got to know that. You're special. I think a lot of the times that we underestimate who we are, who the fuck we are. Sometimes you just got to get up, look in the mirror, remind yourself who the fuck you are. Maybe lick your lips like R. Kelly if you want to. Lick your, well, maybe don't lick your lips like R. Kelly. Lick them like LL Cool J. Lick your lips like slow. Mm, I'm trying to do it right now. I can't do it. Like ladies love Cool James though. Remind yourself who the fuck you are. Look in the mirror. If you ever forget how amazing you are, how special you are, how loved you are, look at your fucking self in the mirror and tell yourself, remind yourself of how fucking amazing you are. And just putting one foot in front of the other every day, it might be fucking hard, but try to stay positive as much as you possibly can. Because you know what? Everything eventually has its end point. Everything comes to end. It's not going to be bad forever, folks. Try to keep smiling. Keep your chin up. I will try to keep my chins up. I love you all. Have the most beautiful week. I hope you had the most happy of Easter's. And uh, I'm going to go enjoy my Easter Monday and probably top it off with some Twin Peaks. You can find me where you always find me. You can find me on 21st Century Rocker Mom on Instagram. You can find me at Tanya Candler on Twitter. I don't really have a Facebook demographic. Like, my mom likes my Facebook posts. So, you can't find me on Facebook. But find me on Instagram. Find me on Twitter. Or I will find you. And I will I will see you there. You can find me on all your favorite streaming platforms. I'm on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor FM. All your favorite streaming platforms. You can find me on YouTube at Tanny Candler Channel. I will see you all on the World Wide Web. I will see you online. I love you. I love you. Goodbye. Good night. Adieu. Adieu. To you and you and you. So long. Farewell. Auf Wiedersehen. Goodbye. And now I'm going to say good night. Do 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 do. Goodbye.
Later, y'all. Peace.